A reading from the book of Luke, chapter 1. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. This is the word of the Lord. You know, it's hard to count your blessings when there's something missing from your life. I think about this a lot at Christmas time because as a kid, I don't know about you, but for me, Christmas was all about that one thing that I wanted. Every year I would give my parents a list of all these items and just to make sure my bases were covered. The last thing I wanted was some aunt calling about a gift for her nephew and my mom tells her to buy anything and I get something dumb, right? So I was prepared. I had the whole list, but on that list, there was always one thing that I really really wanted. And for me, Christmas would rise or fall based on whether or not I got that one gift. You know, some of you are like that today as adults, right? There's one thing you want this Christmas and you're giving hints to your boyfriend. You're giving hints to your wife. You're giving hints to your parents. You're giving hints to your kids. All that mommy wants is this. And you know, no matter what else happens on Christmas morning, as long as you get that one thing, all will be right in the world. You know, sometimes as parents, we kind of toy with our kids when it comes to this. You know, we put out all their gifts and we know they have that one thing that they want and we hide it, right? My parents used to hide it downstairs or like my wife and I will go and hide it around the corner in a different room. We'll let our kids open up all the other presents and right when they get that look of sadness, like, oh no, I didn't get that one thing I wanted, we spring into action. We say, you know what, there might be one more gift around the corner. Why don't you go look in the garage? Why don't you look in the backyard? Why don't you go look? And they run around the corner and there's that one thing that they wanted. Have you ever had a Christmas where you didn't get the one thing that you wanted? Right? You open your presents, you're looking around, you can't find it. You're looking around the corner, it's not there. You're wondering if your parents are playing the long game. They're not saying anything. And then at some point, the reality hits you as your heart sinks. I don't think I'm getting the thing. I think that game console is not in my future, in my present, in my today. I think that vacation I was asking for is not going to happen. I think that engagement moment that was supposed to happen on Christmas in front of my family, it's not happening today and there's nothing worse emotionally than not getting the one thing we wanted for Christmas. And this is part of the human condition. I think we're wired to have these certain things that we want deeply in life. And whether it's a Christmas gift, which is a silly example, or even something deeper, it's really difficult to live in life when there's something that we want and we're just not getting it. Right? Christmas season, the holiday season in general, is a time that for a lot of us, there's something that you want in life, not a gift, just something you want. You want a, a husband, or you want children, or you want to have your family back together again, or you want to be a little bit different than you've been, or you want something to change about your life or your appearance, whatever it is. 
And Christmas is a time that reminds you that that one thing you lack is still lacking in you. When you go to your grandma's house and she asks you why you haven't met that someone, special someone yet, or you sit down for dinner with your extended family and somebody new comes and asks, hey, how come you guys never had kids? And you just feel like it's a dagger to the heart because that one thing that you lack in your life becomes that thing that you feel like everyone now is defining you by. And some of us have these things, right? And it's like we have this scarlet letter on our shirt or this name across our forehead. We feel like everyone can see this one thing about us that's missing. And it's like we bring that weight into every conversation. Some of us, there's something in our lives that no one really knows about and we guard it and we hide it because we're convinced that if the world knew about that one thing that no one knows, we'd never be able to live it down. And so we don't let our family know about our addiction or our background or our family struggles or our identity issues or this loss that we've experienced or this activity that we've been part of or whatever it is, there's that one thing that whether people can see it or not, it becomes that negative defining characteristic about our lives and the weight that we carry into every room, every conversation, it feels like it defines us no matter how much we try to tell ourselves. It's just a small part about us. And you may have picked up on that in this text this week. We've been walking through the Zechariah and Elizabeth story uh, as we uh, go through the text of Christmas. Zechariah and Elizabeth were a couple who... Uh, we're, they gave birth to John the Baptist, who was Jesus' forerunner. And so as we followed this story, we're talking a little about hope and building hope at Christmas time. And in this story, as we start to hear a little bit more about these characteristics, you probably noticed as I read the text that there's something about Zechariah and Elizabeth's life that is negative and it defines them. It says that they're amazing, they're righteous in the sight of God, but they were childless. And they were both very old. The time had gone by, pregnancy was out of the question, and yet this was the thing that defined their lives. This was the thing that gave them great shame. This was the thing that built their reputation in the community. And this one thing that they lacked shows up in the Bible so that the whole world forever knows about that one thing in their life. So if you're someone today who's got something in your life that's a weight, that's negative, or that you feel like defines you in a way that's difficult, we're going to walk through this text today and talk about this concept of dawn of hope. How can hope come into our lives even when there's one thing that we feel like is holding us back or holding us down or defining us in a negative way? So we're going to talk a little bit about the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth to do that today. You know, I went to a restaurant a few years ago with some friends and, and had an experience that kind of reminded me of this concept. It was a great restaurant, well-recommended, great price, amazing food, great ambiance. We walk in the door and we're so excited to be able to have dinner without kids at this place that's so unbelievable, right? And so we sit down at the table and everything is perfect. We're thinking about writing that five-star Yelp review later because it's gonna be such an exquisite experience. And then it happened. <laughs> My buddy pulls out his napkin and goes to put it on his lap. And as he rolls it open, his face just goes white. And we're like, what's going on? He said, there is a giant bug in my napkin, right? And so he like lifts it up and shows us, right? And right as he does that, the waiter shows up who's 
even exceedingly more terrified than my friend was, right? And he's so apologetic. He's so worried. He like takes the napkin. I'm so sorry, sir. He tries to tell us this doesn't normally happen. We've got this laundry service that's new, blah, 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 blah. I'm going to comp this part of your meal, trying to make up for that one thing that honestly didn't ruin the experience, right? It was still a great meal with great friends, right? It was a funny thing. It was over quickly. We didn't feel like it was an unsafe place to be. But from then on, Every time we've ever talked about this restaurant with anyone else who says, hey, have you heard of this place? We always give the caveat. Right? We say, you know what, it's great. Good prices, good food, great atmosphere. But one time we found a giant bug in our napkin while we were there. That but, that one thing lives forever in the reputation of this restaurant, right? I feel for Zechariah and Elizabeth because this but just screams out to us from the text, right? Look at verse six, right? It says, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, but they were childless. And then it kind of puts the dagger in Elizabeth's heart because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. This was the thing that defined them. Now, I know some of us have this thing that defines us, and you could probably write it down, no problem. Uh, others of us, right, we're thinking, I don't really get it. I know other people have this issue, but I don't know if I do. But I want to challenge you a little bit. I think all of us have some level of insecurity about a part of our lives that's lacking, right? Maybe it's something you feel like everyone knows about you. Maybe it's a deep, dark secret you don't want anyone to know about you. And here's what I want to do as we start to kind of dive into this concept a little bit. I want you to take out a piece of paper, right? This is going to be uncomfortable a little bit, but I promise you, I'm not going to make you share this, tell anyone. You can burn it later, right? Just, but we're going to use this all morning. So uh, we're going to use this the whole time. So write down on this piece of paper your name, and then this sentence, the first part's going to be fun. Your name is amazing, but, right? And then I want you to take a moment and fill out the rest of the sentence, right? So if I was doing it, I'd grab my piece of paper and I'd write, Danny is amazing, but, and I'd write down something about myself that I feel like either everyone knows or I hope nobody finds out about myself, right? You see, I might be writing, Doug's an amazing guy, but... Man, he still hasn't found his passion in life yet. Write that down. Right? Marina is awesome, but she's single. Melody loves the Lord. She's amazing, but I feel bad for her because right? Elizabeth, she's great, but she never had kids. What's up with that? Carlos is amazing, but sometimes I wonder if, fill in the blank, what would that be about you? You know, I did it too. I'll tell you later what I wrote down for mine. But what is that thing that, that you feel like is the but that shows up, that, that God has not allowed something to transpire in your life that you've longed for or that you wish you had or that you wish was different? You know, I love looking at this text uh, because we see such a contrast. And 2,000 years later, it reminds us that, that even in Jesus' day, People had the same kind of experiences as us. They were amazing, righteous, godly people, but there's something in their life that's off. Right? I think about Jesus himself, right? He walked through Galilee. He walked through Jerusalem, and he would encounter people who, who had a big butt written over their name, right? I remember the, there's the man in John chapter 9 who they encounter who's been blind since birth. 
And the people ask Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You know, in Jesus' day, those two statements of righteousness, but, dot, 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 were not merely a contrast. They were, also, they were actually incompatible because they had this belief that if your life was going well, it was an indication that you were living under the blessing of God. And if there was something that was missing from your life or down in your life or hard in your life, the only rationale is that sin was in your life and you were under the judgment of God. So this man who's been blind since he was born was an enigma to society because he was blind before he could have ever sinned. And yet the community would talk about him behind his back and even here in front of him. They say, well, maybe God knew he was gonna sin someday and so he made him born blind. Well, maybe his parents did something wrong in their lives and God punished them by giving them a child with a disability. Can you imagine that? That's actually how we think about ourselves a lot. And so people verbalize this before Jesus and ask, Jesus, what's the rationale? You know God, right? Why would God allow someone to experience this kind of suffering? And Jesus was famous for turning the tables on this way of thinking and saying, no, he didn't sin. His parents didn't sin. This was done so that the work of God may be shown in his life. I think of Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes, where Jesus just does this right on the nose. He takes a lot of different characteristics that people would usually use to describe someone who is not under God's blessing. He talks about people who are meek, who are lowly, who are persecuted, who are poor, uh, who are poor in spirit. All of these things that describe these lowly folks going through hardships in life. And Jesus asked, adds one attribute to every one of these characteristics. He says, they're blessed. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the low in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the persecuted for righteousness sake. They are not under the cursing of God. They're under his blessing. Even here in Luke 1, before Jesus is even born, the gospel author starts to show a little bit of Jesus' cards about the way that he's going to do ministry here on planet Earth to show God's going to use a couple who've got, who are marked by something desperate and sad in their lives, but God is going to show that they are righteous and holy people and their current standing in life says nothing about their character or their way that they're viewed in the eyes of God. And the first thing I want us to see as we look at this text together and start to relate it to whatever you put on your card for your own life is that if there is something in your life that's missing, it does not mean there's anything wrong with you. I'll say it again. If there's something missing from your life, that does not mean there's something wrong with you. Right? If you've got the card and you wrote, you know, Austin's amazing, but, right? Cross off the but and change it to an and, right? These are just two corresponding statements around you about you, you're a Christian, you're great, you're awesome, and here's something that's hard in your life, and you're single, right? And you struggle with this, and you feel this way, and you've got this backstory, and, and, not but. You know, in fact, as, as we look at Luke chapter one, it, it's interesting, the word that's translated but in Luke one, five and six, kai, is a word that's all over the New Testament. It, it normally just means and, right? I think 9,000 times or so this word is used. 95% of the times the word is used, it's translated and, and a handful of times it's translated but. And it's only translated but when it wouldn't make any sense to us in the English speaking world to read it as and. 
seem really weird to us. It seemed foreign to us to see that Zechariah and Elizabeth were amazing and righteous and blameless in the sight of God, and they were childless. It would see almost it would seem obtuse or out of touch to not have gravity about this thing that marked them. And so that but kind of jumps off the page at us. But God's trying to show us in this text that God is not judging them for their childlessness. It's not a curse because of some sin in their life. This is just something that happened to be true about them. If you're someone who, who struggles with this, right, maybe there's something that's defined you for a long time, chances are you've heard this message before. Right? You've, you've had so many people tell you, no, that doesn't define you. No, God's going to use that. No, it's going to be okay. Right? And you go in this cycle over and over again of trying to believe that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that I don't have kids. It doesn't matter that I haven't found somebody. It doesn't matter that I'm single, right? You try to rationalize it. You try to keep your head down. You try to ignore it. You try to pray it away. You try to do something to keep your mind off it. You try to convince yourself that you're fine when everything in you is screaming that you're not fine. And it works a little. You have seasons in life when you're able to just kind of relax and forget about this thing. You've got maybe long stretches where you've just forgotten about it. It doesn't define you. Let's just move on. But it always comes back and catches up with you, doesn't it? It always feels like it comes back to stab you in the back at the wrong or weirdest times. Where you go through a hard year like 2020, you go through a season like COVID-19, you go through shelter in place and quarantine, and all of these hard things about your life start creeping back on you, and you're alone in your home, right, even watching this today, and you can't help but think there's something messed up in my life, and everybody knows it. And as much as I want to convince myself it's fine, it's not fine. And that's how you feel. That's normal. Right? You're not alone. We, we all feel defined by these areas of insecurity or baggage or hardship or pain in our lives. Right? We know the Zechariah and Elizabeth story has a happy ending. Right? They get a child. Right? A lot of times if you're someone who's been defined by something that you have not yet received, stories like these are always feeling like they're being thrown in your face to tell you that you're lacking something that other people get. Right? So you read a chapter like this. You're like, how nice. Zechariah and Elizabeth get their blessing. How nice. They get their child. How nice. Their marriage worked. How nice. They bought a house. Right? How nice. That person's kids still love them. How nice. They recovered from their addictions. How nice. It worked for them. And then you get resentful when you think, but God, how come it's not working for me? Now, I want to tell you, as we read this text today, I don't think the moral of the story is that your blessing is around the corner. I don't think that the reason this is in the scriptures is because every childless couple uh, receives the blessing of a child biologically or that every divorced couple gets back together or every person with family strife reconciles. I don't think those messages are in this text for us. Sure, it happens. God does amazing things. But I don't think that God wants us to read a text like this as a promise that the area that marks us negatively is gonna turn around. I think a better lesson that we can pull out of this text is that God plans on purpose to step into a couple's life and do work right in their area of insecurity. And I, I do think that God does that a lot. Now, if you wanna write something down that you can kind of wrestle with this week, write this down. There's a chance that the aspect of your life that brings you the most shame 
is the area God wants to use to bring himself the most glory. I think God does do that a lot. I don't think he gives every child this couple a child or every divorced couple a reconciliation, but I, I do think that one of the things that God is in the habit of doing is stepping into our area of insecurity and doing great work there. Whether it's bringing us blessing or bringing us lessons or bringing us perspective or bringing us patience or bringing us hope, there's a chance that that aspect of your life that you feel like is the scarlet letter that you wear every day is actually an area that God wants to bring redemption in some way and do some work in your life through that specific area, however he wants to do it. Now, I was talking to somebody this last week who's been going through it in 2020, and I know all of us have been going through it in 2020. It's been a hard year, but this guy I was talking to had a particularly desperate year, just so much heartache, so much hardship, so much loss, so much pain and grief, and we started talking about how his year, even though everyone's going through it, his year was just categorically so much more difficult, and as we were talking about that, he kind of stopped me and said, Danny, I got to tell you, yes, this has been a really hard year, but one of the things that I've noticed is that God has shown up this year and drawn me to himself in ways that I've never experienced before. And in fact, even in this very area of pain that I've been experiencing in my life, I feel like God has shown up in that area and he's brought my family together. He's brought me close to him. He's brought me into relationship with some new people. He's showed me his glory. He's done magnificent work. And that doesn't discount the pain, but I think this area that came into our lives this year that brought devastation and pain is the exact area that God is using to bring glory to himself. I think this is how God works oftentimes. I was thinking of the Apostle Paul's life. He talks about this kind of concept a lot, actually. I was thinking about this great chapter in 1 Corinthians 7 on singleness this week. So if you're a single person or you struggle with singleness in some level, read 1 Corinthians 7. He gives us this concept in the chapter that everyone in the community just seems to want to get married, right? And if you're single, you know how this works. Everyone's talking about marriage, trying to get people to get married. Everyone's trying to hook you up with somebody else, right? Make these marriages happen. And Paul kind of starts the conversation by saying, you know what? Let me turn the tables over a little bit. I wish all of you could be unmarried like me. And then he gives some rationality. He says, I'd like you to be free from concern. As an unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord, but a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. Paul says, let me give you some perspective. If you are not married or you used to be married, like Paul had used to be married, and now his wife had passed or whatever had happened, he says, you know, this is not a lamentable situation. This is an area where God might want to use you in some way. You could serve the Lord in amazing ways as a single person that you just can't do when you're married, he says. So be free from concern. And then he says later in the chapter, I just want everyone to just stay in the place that they were when God called them, right? Don't try to get married. Don't try to leave your spouse. Just stick in this place and realize that God has work he wants to do in you and through you right here. Now, Paul got this pain. He he had an issue in his life that we know is the thorn in the flesh, this thing that he had experienced several times and he felt like it was holding him down or defining him or keeping him back. And he tells us in 2 Corinthians that he worked a ton to try to get God to take this scarlet letter off of his chest. He says, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. 
Paul says, three times I pleaded with the Lord that it would be taken away. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can rest in me. He tells us a little bit that that is why, I'll keep reading it, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul had this perspective that these areas of weakness in his life were not areas that defined him, but these were areas where God wanted to show up and draw him to himself or show up and do great work for the kingdom through his life. I was thinking about my own little card. You know, I did the exercise this week and it was hard for me to write, Danny is amazing. (laughs) But I wrote, Danny is amazing, but... I started asking, well, what is the thing that I always feel like people know about me that they don't want to say out loud? And I just wrote down an area of insecurity. I wrote, Danny's amazing, but he has no idea what he's doing. I feel like the deep, dark secret is that people don't know I have no idea how to be a good dad. I have no idea how to be a good husband. I have no idea how to lead a church or be a pastor or be a friend, right? I'm totally incompetent. Like, that's the big secret that I feel like people are whispering about me. Hey, Danny's a great guy, but you know he totally has no idea what he's doing, right? So I I wrote it down. Then I spent some time reflecting, okay, God, what do you want to teach me about this? And as I thought through this aspect of my life and this insecurity that, that I face a lot, I started realizing that a lot of times in my life that I felt the most insecure about my lack of competency I've kind of just thrown myself at the mercy of God and said, God, I have no idea what I'm doing here. I don't know how to deal with this situation with my kids or with my wife or with my friend or at work. I need your help, please. I don't know what I'm doing and no one knows it. And in those moments, God has always shown up in my life and given me a glimpse of wisdom or insight or said, you know what, just trust me. I remember one time Jesus saying, you know what, I'm the way. I know the way to the place that you're going. Just follow me. Keep in step with me. Just take one foot and put it in front of the other. And eventually you get to the place that I want you to be. And I realize this area that I feel like is so negative about myself is actually something that God has used historically in my life to just keep me clinging to Jesus. If you've got something that you've written down on a card about yourself, I want to leave you with a question that I'd love you to spend some time this week just kind of wrestling with on your own. Here's the question. You can write down your card. Write down this. God, how do you want to use this area in my life this Christmas? God, how do you want to use this area in my life this Christmas? Write it down. You don't have to answer it now. But I would love for you to spend some time this week and just sit down with the Lord and this question and say, God, okay, I feel like I'm defined by my singleness. Is there a way you want to use my singleness this Christmas season, right? Not for the rest of my life, just for the next four weeks. God, I feel like I'm defined by this insecurity. How do you want me to lean into that? God, I feel like this anxiety I experience defines me. What do you want to do? How do you want to work or use this area in my life this Christmas time? And who knows what he'll say? Maybe he'll call you to go and confide in someone or maybe he'll call you to go and serve in a different way or plug in with him in a different way that you've done before. Maybe you should pursue counseling this Christmas time or go and confess some sins to someone or get into community and start building some friendships. Who knows what he'll call you to do? But take whatever this issue is that you feel like defines you in a negative way and bring it to him and say, God, what do you want to do with this? Let it be a stewardship. God, what do you want to do? 
with this area in my life this Christmas. Hopefully, as you process this with the Lord, it'll stop becoming that Christmas gift that you didn't want or that gift that you never got that you always wanted. And hopefully instead, it'll be something that you are able to connect with the Lord on and say, God, just guide me, teach me, keep me close to you. Use this area of my life that I feel like defines me in a negative way for your good and your glory in the world. And one of the things about Christianity, as we move away from the sermon and kind of into the next segment of our service, I was thinking, one of the things about Christianity is it is a religion that is all about God redeeming dark moments, right? So if you've got something that's dark on your card and you're praying God brings redemption and hope and life into it, that is a very Christian thing. We're about to celebrate communion together. And communion is Jesus taking these elements, these common elements, and linking them to the darkest moment in human history when he died on the cross for the death, for the sins of mankind. And as we take this communion meal, we should feel a little bit conflicted because we're celebrating and remembering and honoring one of the worst things that's ever happened. But the reason that we do it is because we know that God used the cross of Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead as the best thing that has ever happened in the history of humankind. The world meant the crucifixion for evil, but God meant it for good. So if if you're in your house today, we're gonna receive communion with one another. Maybe that's new for you. If you're a Christian, you're welcome to do this with us. If you're not yet a believer in Jesus, just hold back. You can watch us do it as a church, but go grab some bread or grab some wine and juice or and grab some wine or juice and, and hold on to it. I wanna come back in a few minutes and lead us into communion. We're gonna eat and drink together. So prepare communion, uh, experience this worship song with us, and then we'll come back and we'll receive communion together in just a couple minutes.